Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. It's that time of year again when your nose starts to run and you can never have enough tissues. We all know this feeling too well. Excess nasal drainage can be caused by a variety of things and a runny nose or rhinorrhea can be caused by anything that irritates or inflames the nasal tissues. Runny nose relief, symptoms, causes, and treatment. Tonight, on call with the Prairie Duck, providing health information based on science built on trust. Hello and welcome to On Call with Prairie Doc. I'm Dr. Andrew Ellsworth, tonight's Prairie Doc host. Thank you for joining us as we enter our 21st season providing health information based on science and built on trust. Continuing that tradition is our goal for tonight's discussion. Tonight's topic is runny nose relief, symptoms, causes, and treatments. Joining us tonight on the campus of South Dakota State University are Dr. Mark Bubach, from Dakota Allergy and Asthma, and Dr. Donald Bennett from Midwest Ear, Nose, and Throat. Dr. Bennett and Dr. Bubach, thanks for joining us here tonight. Thanks, thanks for having me. Dr. Bennett, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit uh, uh, with us uh, of uh, your background and, and everything. Sure, so I'm Dr. Donald Bennett. I'm uh, uh, originally from West Virginia where I went to medical school. Uh, did my residency training at the University of Vermont Medical Center and I'm now here in South Dakota at Midwest Ear, Nose and Throat in Sioux Falls. And uh, just wanted to say hi to my wife Marie and my children, Leo, Luca and Eloise. Very good, very good. Dr. Rubach? Well, I'm a South Dakota native and have been at Dakota Allergy for about 21 years now. Uh, did medical school here in state and then Mayo Clinic training and working there and then back here. Very good, awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. You're, how many times have you been on the show, do you think? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> and how many times have you been on the show? First time. Awesome, so we got a good mix here. Well, well this is just a conversation with us. So um, I, the first thing I'd like to talk about um, is, of course, runny noses. And there's so many parts of that, but we can talk about other things and allergies and other ear, nose, and throat related things. Um, Mark, when you think about uh, someone coming in complaining of a runny nose, what are some of the things you're gonna look into for them about that? Because you know, if they're seeing you, they probably think it's allergies. They think it's been, you know, so it's been going on for quite a while. How do you start that process with them? Well, of course, everything is allergies. So <laughs> uh, we're a little egocentric, but I really like to hear, when I'm thinking about noses, there's the important word of itch. And if the runny nose itches, I'm cluing into having an allergy type of thing. And if there's no mention of itch, then I start thinking of other stuff. Uh, how long have you had it? Is this a cold? Do I think they've got some structural problem? Uh, so that's kind of how I sit down and start approaching it. Sure. Itch. Itch, nice. Itch correlates with sneeze, <laughs> yeah. Keyword there. Well, we invite you, our audience, to submit your questions now about your runny nose problems. 
Viewers can talk, contact us three ways. Call 1-888-376-6225, send an email to ask at prairiedoc.org, or ask on our Facebook Doc Facebook, our Prairie Doc Facebook page, we will work to answer as many of your questions as possible given the time available. Sometimes we receive more questions than we can cover, and we apologize if we do not get to your question. To encourage you to ask early, all questions asked in the first 20 minutes will be entered into a drawing for one of our Prairie Doc gift items. The winner will be announced at the end of this program. Your question will remain anonymous, but please provide contact information when you submit your question. And so Donald, if someone comes in with a runny nose for you, what are some of the things you're starting to think about? Um, I would echo, echo uh, my colleague's uh, thought process here is trying to figure out the cause, you know, itching, watery eyes, sneezing, point to allergy, and then there's a whole laundry list of other things. Uh, little kids with frequent runny nose, viruses are a very common cause of that. And then there's things that can just be in relation to, um, you know, uh, one thing called vasomotor rhinitis, where your nose may run with some cold weather exposure or eating spicy foods, where the nerve that controls those, those, uh, those uh, drainage and uh, mucus glands are, is acting up a little bit. Um, uh, so yeah, just the history and physical, talking to the patient, looking at them, narrowing it down. Why does a virus cause a runny nose? So the virus infects those cells in your nose and affects not only the cells lining the nose, but the nerves controlling those cells in the nose. And that makes them kind of act uh, outside of what they're usually doing. So they'll make mucus, they'll make fluid on their own without the normal um, signals that they should be. Sure, sure. Um, and so, you mentioned you know how cold that was one question that came in al already is is how why do we get a runny nose from a cold sometimes mm -hmm. how does that work yeah so it can or be not a cold i meant cold weather even. oh cold yeah, weather yeah. so that's a that's a similar uh, kind of process if that nerve is overactive and getting those glands to make mucus and um, the other um, uh, mucus to come out of your nose as well as uh, uh, causing those vessels in your nose, the blood vessels lining your nose to either constrict or dilate, and all that can influence the congestion and runny nose. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit like uh, when we see bright sunlight all of a sudden, mm -hmm. and people will have a sneeze type of a reflex from yeah. that uh, yep. neurologically. Mm -hmm. And if you have the vasomotor rhinitis, some people just put their feet down on the cold floor in the morning, and it'll make your nose plug run, and a little bit of sneezy stuff. So there are all these, like, how does our nerve set off all right, the stuff right. in our nose and gustatory rhinitis. Yes, Just yes. any time you eat, there's a cross circuit that happens that instead of getting saliva, you get runny nose. Mm -hmm. Just a bizarre type of Absolutely. illness. So for some of those allergy, non-allergy causes, non-infection causes, like vasomotor rhinitis or gustatory rhinitis from mm -hmm. eating something, spicy foods, is there a treatment or a prevention for those? It's, it's medications, and it's often the same ones we use for the allergy things, antihistamines or a nasal steroid. Uh, there's also anticholinergic to help just dry up the nose for, for some of those folks. You just need to tailor it to the specific symptoms your patient's having, and then there are other health conditions so that your side effects don't really get in the way of other stuff. Sure. Yeah. So if you go with a steroid nasal spray, 
to help with allergy or other causes of runny nose. What's the proper way to do that? And can you do it every day all the time? It only works if you do it every day. <laughs> it takes days to start working. And I think that's the main problem people have is they quit on it. Yeah, I hear that yeah. all the time too. Ask, how long did you try the spray? Oh, you know, five days a week didn't work, so I stopped. But I do counsel that it takes several weeks to see the maximal effect of those types of medications. So it's okay to do all the time? Yes, I have, routinely have patients that continue a nasal steroid spray, such as a steroid-based nasal spray. Now, what if they're getting bloody noses? That is almost always a cause of improper use. Uh, so certainly the, the material in it can be a little drying and irritating, but when I tell patients how to use the nasal spray, you want to point it to the corner of the eye in the outward direction. If you're putting it in the middle of your nose and pointing it towards the middle of your nose, you're going to bang the septum, which is the part of the nose that separates the left and right. And that's only a few millimeters inside the nose, so a little irritation and trauma there can result in a nosebleed. Excellent, excellent. Um, this is an interesting uh, question that someone asked, is there a correct procedure to blow your nose in one nostril versus two? Mark, do you have a recommendation on that? I guess I don't have a big strong feeling one way or the other. Uh, I suppose if you had certain other medical post-operative, you might have to be careful. That would be the main time, but otherwise, uh, Usually my problem isn't getting people to blow their nose. My main problem is getting people to blow their nose because I see a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell the moms that don't worry, he'll blow his nose whenever his girlfriend tells him to. <laughs> and not a second beforehand. So <laughs> it's terrible. They just yeah. <laughs> that's all those little guys will just do. Wipe it on their shirt. Yeah. That's what yeah. Do. So yeah. whether you're holding your nose on one side and blowing or blowing them both at the same time, just do whatever works for you if you're wanting to clear it up and get it out. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> any problem with any, you know, I think of kids and you do like a nasal suction thing yeah. or a, a nose Frida now is, is the mm -hmm. thing where, right. where you can suction it yourself right. and see this not come up. And there's a filter there, I guess. But, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but it can be really rewarding because then the, it clears and now the, the baby can feed better and right. breathe easier. Any problem with some of those? Things. I do occasionally see, so in babies, they have to breathe through their nose for the first several months of life. So when they're stuffy, it can be problematic with feeding and just overall being miserable. Um, and saline drops, salt water drops, and suctioning is great, but you can occasionally be too vigorous with the suctioning. So if you're doing it very frequently and bumping the inside of the nose, you could cause a little extra swelling that actually can make the congestion um, harder to treat. So I do yeah. counsel to be gentle and, and not do it too frequently. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, good advice. This person asks, uh, does your nose become runnier as you get older? And I could see what they mean. I feel like I got more and more older patients. You know, see, I guess with kids, it's always just a cold or something, mm -hmm. but, or allergies. But I, I do have a lot of patients that complain about it more. Is there something to that that becomes more of a problem as we get older or, or not, do you think? There's a couple of way, ways of thinking about it. Most of us, when we get allergies or we get these non-allergic nose conditions, we have it for the rest of our lives. So more and more of us are getting diseases of our nose. But there is kind of a senescence that happens. Uh, and some people just get a drippy nose. Uh, I, there's another condition where 
you don't really blow your nose, it just gets chalked up with hard crusty things and then they drip and, uh, and so there's some stuff you have to do for hygiene. Uh, so I think that's kind of a, the way I like to think, there's more and more disease there. Uh, so. Yeah, excellent. Um, when I get congested, my nose doesn't run, but the mucus goes down my throat. Did you speak to that? This is one I, I get frequently, and certainly it could be coming from the nose and down the back of the throat, um, whether it be allergies, but it could also be coming from below. I see a lot of patients that have nasal congestion and a post-nasal drip sensation, and it's actually reflux. Ah, and good point. Reflux can be severe enough to get into the back of the nose, and um, they've actually detected enzymes from the stomach and the back of people's noses where the adenoids are to, to help uh, show that that does happen. So you might have this scenario where you get up in the morning and you feel a bunch of mucus come down your throat. That, that's uh, somewhat more predictive of a reflux problem, sure. in, in my opinion. Right. Well, allergy season is upon us, and a solution to those nagging sneezes and wheezes might be an injection. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Schauer spoke to an allergist about allergy shots. Dr. Tom Luzier is an allergist from Aberdeen, and he says allergies come from interactions between the environment and your immune system, and they create histamine in your body. And so these mast cells are full of histamine, and when it releases, histamine gives a reaction of itching and swelling and redness. Allergy shots are a solution to those reactions. After pricking your skin to find your allergies, desensitization occurs with injecting a small dose of the allergen and building the doses up, which is called immunotherapy. The process takes quite a while because if I give you too much, then you're going to have an allergic reaction. You're going to have an allergic reaction that might make you really sick, so we try not to do that. Over time, which takes about three years, I'm going to try to change your immune system by doing this technique. By doing this technique, I change your immune system so that it doesn't react to the environment. Dr. Luzier and his team look for one thing when discussing allergy shots. We look for how much are you incapacitated. In other words, if your nasal stuffiness is so bad, you can't sleep at night from the 1st of August until frost, that's not a good thing. It was borderline miserable how much my eyes were itchy. My nose would just run. I bet I would sneeze 50 times a day and that's not an exaggeration. I was miserable and it's when you're allergic to things like grasses and trees and like environmental things that are unavoidable, you have those symptoms every single day. And, and I live with a dog so that probably doesn't help but they're part of the family and so these allergy shots make made it more tolerable to be like outside and doing the things that I loved and living with our pet and it is just it has made a 100% difference it is completely changed the quality of my life when it comes to allergies Dr. Luzier says getting an allergy shot is worth it compared to constantly taking over-the-counter allergy medication the benefit is less medication and obviously less symptom and the biggest thing is is that it usually is permanent so as opposed to medication, which is just for the time that you take the medicine. 
However, he says there is a chance they could make the allergy symptoms worse if doses are not correct. If we're a little too aggressive with the immunotherapy, we can make you sicker during the season, particularly early in the course of giving the shots. In order to combat this, the start time is important for allergy shots. There is a seasonal variation in giving the shot that we have to be aware of so that sometimes we even have to lower your dose on the fly in order that you don't get sick from your shot. Well, thank you, Dr. Brubach, and thank you, Renee. And, and uh, it's amazing how they can help that much. Um, you know, uh, Mark, um, when, when you're thinking about doing allergy shots, and, and you know, probably someone might want to do it more for than just a runny nose, but uh, when, when's the best time to, to do allergy shots and start them, and, and why? A person typically nowadays starts allergy shots if avoidance and the medications aren't working. Some people just really hate the nose sprays and they can't imagine being a 10-year-old and going to go through 1,100 bottles of Flonase and they want to, the parents want to do something about it. So failing avoidance in medical therapy is the usual thing uh, is when most people get started on that. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, we appreciate all these questions. Here's a, here's a good time tested question. Donald, how can I tell the difference between allergies and a cold or the flu? Gotcha. Well, um, allergies have those other classic symptoms of the itchy, watery eyes. Sneezing, of course, overlaps with the virus, but you may have changes on your skin like eczema or the roof of your mouth might itch with allergies um, as opposed to a viral infection. And then the flu, the flu carries a, a constellation of other more miserable symptoms. I think a lot of people think they have the flu, but the, the real flu can uh, carry a lot of GI, gastrointestinal stomach illnesses, and uh, really puts you in bed and, and keep you from getting out of it for several days. And that's a good point, although I would differentiate, you know, people call the flu just when they're throwing up and vomiting, mm -hmm. there's gastroenteritis right, or the right. stomach flu, and there's influenza flu mm -hmm. yeah. that has the respiratory as well as sometimes the GI and, yes, and everything too. I like to also think of what you're allergic to. So if you're thinking an allergy, you play with somebody's cat and you get itchy and sneezy mm -hmm. from episodic, that's not a cold, it didn't go on for the week. Mm -hmm. Or if you have ragweed, it's going to be, say, six to eight weeks in mid-August into September into October, whereas a cold's only a week or two. And so that timing thing is so important. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, someone asked me the other day how, if there's a way to prevent that cold or flu from progressing from your runny nose. You know, for sometimes first you got that runny nose, and then later now you're feeling it and now you're coughing more and it's getting down more from your head to your mm -hmm. chest. Is there, is there a way to prevent that progression? Or, and why is that progression anyway? Yeah, the, the progression you can't really stop, but there is that the, the dry phase where your nose is just kind of irritated, then the wet phase where you get a really drippy nose and you feel like you can't get it to stop and it's the worst time ever when it starts dripping. And then there's the congestion phase or the th and then the thick mucus phase. So it's a very natural progression. 
not a way to, to prevent it, but you can manage it. Um, you know, certain nose sprays can work for the, the drippy phase and as well as you know other medications for the congestion phase. But it happens uh, as a process of the body healing and reacting and those cells in the nose that have been infected need to regenerate and the body has to adapt to that, that and, and heal over time. So that's also a sign of you getting better. Yeah. Interestingly, I saw a study that looked like a whole lot of people that had been vaccinated and not vaccinated against COVID-19. Of course, COVID can also cause a runny nose, but those that had, or worse, but those that had been vaccinated actually had higher rates of runny noses mm -hmm. as their COVID mm -hmm. symptoms. And those that had not been had higher rates of pneumonia and so on, because the body caught it up here in the nose where it came in and started battling it right there and they had more nose symptoms as opposed to it getting down in further and causing more problems systemically and in the lungs so interesting way to yeah. think, think yeah. about that sure. too sure. um the, you know you just mentioned uh, uh, d you know some other sprays you can do when you like have a cold mm -hmm. and this person asks are there any other medications to relieve allergies congestion and pseudoephedrine and they mentioned how this specific medication seems to increase production of urine. Um, and so I think, I think I do definitely want to talk about pseudoephedrine and what you feel about that mm -hmm. first. And then let's finish their question there. I typically try to avoid even the, the oral decongestants, um, and especially the topical ones. Um, they just have a, uh, a risk of uh, getting worse congestion and being habit forming. Um, plus the oral decongestants carry a lot of un, uh, uh, unpleasant side effects. Not only the urine, but it can get your heart rate up, it can increase your blood pressure, it can make you feel anxious. So those are the reasons I, I typically avoid those ones. So pseudoephedrine or phenylephrine mm -hmm. would be those ones you take orally, yep. or there's sometimes a decongestion spray right, that yeah. works right away. Indeed, yeah. And then you can breathe. Right, stuff. yeah, <laughs> if only, yeah. But don't, don't get rebound. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. don't use it for more than a few days, right. otherwise. Whereas the nasal corticosteroids, the fluticasone and such, that helps the congestion uh, the best of everything. Mm -hmm. It's okay. just going to take several days to have it do its job. Mm -hmm. And so if you have congestion, nasal steroid spray. So what if, what if right now I've got my cold mm -hmm. and I don't need to take this for weeks because the cold's not going to, but I want some help right now. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend then? That's the decongestant pill or okay, the spray just for, for a, a few days. Yeah. The nasal steroid is not going to do a lot of help for your viral thing anyway. Sure. So you might as well just get some quick symptomatic help and then get off it. Yeah. Now, one person had asked about uh, if, the, if the neti pots can be helpful for that mm -hmm. situation. I feel they can. Uh, in the world of ENT, with a lot of patients getting sinus surgery, we love our, our rinses, our irrigations. Um, I feel that they have salt in them so they can pull some of the mucus out of the nose when you flush with them. The, the salt water can pull some of the water out of the tissues lining your nose and help that congestion. Um, so I do feel that they can benefit you in that situation too. And certainly for some patients that are prone to get sinus infections, mm -hmm. 
they've been shown to help decrease the risk of it turning into a sinus infection, from my understanding, yeah. and can be a treatment, yeah. as opposed to antibiotics even. Yeah, the, the thought of it making it less likely to develop a bacterial sinus infection following a viral infection is that it can get some of the viral pathogens out of your nose, but it can also decrease the swelling in your nose, because if your sinuses get swollen, you can sometimes get a secondary bacterial infection on top of that, and the rinses could head that off. Mark, this person asked, could I become allergic to other things as I get older that I was not originally allergic to? Well, it brings up the term atopic march. So as we go along in our life, our allergies quite frequently change. No one is ever born with an allergy, and it's what we're around at the wrong mix of other infections or how clean things are. So as we go along, we collect more. Uh, and it can switch around. It could be your allergy knows things for, say, the first 10 years, and later on one might develop asthma or the eczema, atopic dermatitis problems. So it's real common. Is there a way to prevent that or? Uh, not real well. <laughs> uh, that said, if you have your, say, hay fever from the ragweed allergy and you're 12 years old and you're having a tough time, if you do the allergy shots, you're half as likely to develop asthma, you're half as likely to develop more things to be allergic to, and your kids will end up having less allergies if you do the shots. So you could do something preventatively, it's not a guarantee by any stretch. You know, when I think about allergies and trying to prevent allergies, uh, you know, we've learned now that exposing babies to, to, to peanut butter and such can mm -hmm. decrease the risk of peanut allergy compared to waiting until they're two years old and then mm -hmm. we saw higher rates of allergies then. And sometimes I've heard that people in developing countries have lower rates of allergies than people here that, you know, we're cleaning everything yep. all the time. The hygiene hypothesis. So is, is there something to that and maybe continuing exposing yourself to things and germs and stuff can exercise the immune system in a healthy way or and help so then so then your body's not overreacting to other things with allergies or is what do you think on that it's a little bit of a two-edged sword uh, we know that if you get a lot of bacterial infections that you will have less uh, allergy if you're a farmer exposed to a lot of endotoxin from the manure uh, or multiple animal types of things, you do have less allergy, but you have other problems. Uh, you have to give your pneumonia or chronic sinusitis. You get to put up with uh, just other exposures, and it's not guaranteed. We know that these populations have fewer. They don't have zero. And we wish yeah. that we had a way of fixing that. So this person lost their sense of smell about four years ago. So they know it's not COVID-related. And, and they don't really know why it happened, although it happened to my grandmother too at this age, and she's 70. I've seen an ENT who prescribed prednisone. I also tried retraining my nose with scented oils. The only thing I can smell consistently is lemon. Do you have any suggestions? Is there any hope at getting that back? Yeah, uh, the loss of sense of smell is, is a very difficult one to deal with. COVID in a, you know, a silver lining brought a lot of attention to it because before COVID it was still a problem and most oftentimes related to after a viral exposure. Um, you can certainly lose your sense of smell um, as you age. Um, it's generally more insidious, progressive, you don't notice it 
off right off the bat. Um, it sounds like you've been managed appropriately to do a lot of the right things. Um, a course of steroids is obviously a reasonable try, a little less effective if it's been a while. Um, and then smell retraining therapy is probably one of the best things you can do, especially if you can smell something. Mm -hmm. Smell retraining therapy is going to be less effective if you can't smell anything at all. Um, and then ruling out some of the more scary stuff. Um, occasionally, uh, there's other signs or symptoms. Getting some imaging of, of the brain can be a reasonable thing if, if your doctor feels that's appropriate. But other than that, there's not much, much you can do. I would keep trying the smell retraining therapy and, and do your best, but it sounds like you've done a lot already. Yeah, unfortunately with COVID and before COVID, but with COVID we've seen a lot more people that have sometimes lost their sense mm -hmm. of smell and sometimes gradually they get it back and, and sometimes not. So speaking, with, speaking about COVID and now with flu season around the corner, it's a good time for an update on what flu and COVID-19 might look like this winter. Prairie Doc reporter Sam Shower spoke with Dr. Specker, an epidemiologist about this upcoming season. Bonnie Specker is an epidemiologist and professor emerita at South Dakota State University and served as a researcher. She says this upcoming winter is a mystery for COVID-19 cases. I don't think anyone really knows what to expect. They are thinking it might go up because the last two years we've had peaks in the wintertime, but this year, because the variants are changing so much, it's sort of hard to tell. Specker says the first SARS outbreak was able to be contained, but the COVID-19 virus could not, leading to different variants and difficulty eliminating it. This particular SARS-CoV-2 that didn't happen, it got out of control and spread to, it's going to be pretty much, I don't know, I would say impossible to get rid of that virus now that it's so prevalent within the population of the world. She says COVID-19 is becoming similar to the flu and trying to guess what it will be this year. But scientists are working to find a way to target more of the source than its changes. I think a lot of people are looking at, well, is there another way of doing this where you can target something within that virus that isn't changing so much? While they can't estimate COVID-19, Specker says they are able to estimate how the flu season will look by watching what happens in the southern hemisphere. And this particular year, it was a pretty bad year for flu in the southern hemisphere, and the flu season started a little bit earlier. Since it started early in the southern hemisphere, Specker says they are bracing for the possibility of an early flu season. Typically, flu in South Dakota, the flu season starts the first full week of October, and it usually peaks around February. So when they say it's starting earlier, they think that peak is a little, like maybe it's gonna be in January instead of February. They also expect the flu to be more dangerous than in previous years. It's yeah. not only coming earlier, but it could be more severe. They have seen it to be more severe than it has been in the last couple years. Specker says the CDC is advising people to be more cautious and be generally aware of their community's health and to get the flu shot and new COVID-19 booster. There's a new vaccine right now. It's the updated vaccine. It's a bivalent and it's just easier to remember that it's the updated one. 
And it's a vaccine against not just the original COVID or SARS-CoV-2 virus, but also this Omicron BA5. Well, when talking about flu season coming up and COVID-19 and the new booster, can you get them at the same time? Absolutely. Yes, you can. Yes, I've had pa several patients already and it's okay. Yep, definitely. Um, we've got a bunch more questions again, so I'll just run through there. Um, it, we kind of just touched on this one, but I want to mention it one more time. Is there anything I can change in my environment or lifestyle to prevent these runny nose and allergy symptoms? Mark, would you say any else, anything else to that? I think it's important to know what you're needing to avoid. And if you know that, and usually you have to do some kind of test to be sure, and then you can work hard at it. I'll be honest that avoidance is really a lot of work. Uh, people used to have to work harder, but now we have better medicines. Uh, and a lot of times it just doesn't work, so you have to jump in with shots or allergy tabs. Now you mentioned doing allergy tests, and you know there's only so many allergists around, such mm -hmm. as yourself. Mm -hmm. Now a lot of other docs can do these blood tests called the RAS test, and there was a question about that. Are RAS blood tests helpful? So RAS tests or modified RAS are older versions of blood allergy testing. We have to make sure that we're uh, getting allergy tests that look for allergies. So immunoglobulin E, like elephant is the style. Uh, Immunocap is the main brand that we have around here. Uh, they're quite helpful. Uh, they have the same problems with food allergy in that they overcall food allergies. Mm. There's a high false positive rate. Uh, but they, the main thing with blood allergy testing is they don't pick things up quite as good, but they're really more than adequate. And okay. your family doc uh, can order some of those for us. Uh, it can be quite helpful if you want to find out, am I allergic to your dog? Uh, or is it the dust mite? Just ordering a little bit. I, uh, probably is better not to order huge panels of them because they're three times the cost of skin tests. But gotcha. doing a limited number is really helpful. Yeah. So if they get referred to you and you see them, you're more likely to do a skin test then? Yeah. What, the skin test is the gold standard for uh, and it's a prick skin test version is the gold standard test for things. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Uh, one, another question along allergies, if I have one allergies, am I more likely to have others? Uh, the polysensitization, we'd call that, of having lots of allergies, is pretty common for inhaled allergy. It's not common to be only allergic to dust mites, usually it's all kinds of things. With foods, most of the time you're only allergic to one thing. And if somebody walks in with, to say, 10 food allergies, I know that not all of them are real. Yeah. So, you know, the standard treatment's gonna be an antihistamine, uh, a cetirizine, a loratadine, and such. I've had some patients that have been on the same one for years. And then after a while, they feel like it just wasn't helpful anymore. And then they switch to the other one, and it seemed to work better for them. Is there anything to that or? I think that switching around anymore really doesn't make sense. Uh, it's the tolerance doesn't occur to the new antihistamines. Usually, Do, does or does it not? It does not. It does not. Does not. 
the bigger thing is what time of year are we in? And if uh, you are in the midst of ragweed season and you're switching from one to the other, all of a sudden going to water is going to work because you ran out of the season and your allergy season's not there anymore. Sure. So that's the usual reason why it works better. Sure. Might be more yeah. just the change in season. And we also change as we go along and your allergies may get worse or what happens if you're starting to grow polyps in your nose or you get an injury and your septum's now deviated or you've had some secondary infections and they never got better. So quite often that's actually why people are worse. It's an interesting point to bring up nasal polyps. We haven't talked about those yet. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, so nasal polyps form when there's chronic irritation in the nose. So people with asthma, allergies, um, can develop chronic rhinosinusitis, so these persistent symptoms in the nose and resulting polyps. So that's uh, where we come in um, in terms of sinus surgery. But one thing to always remember about sinus surgery for a chronic condition like chronic rhinosinusitis, it doesn't fix the underlying problem why that inflammation is in the nose. So um, that's where managing your allergies, managing your asthma, all sorts of things, continuing your post-operative rinses with steroid in them. So it's an ongoing process to manage it if you have that problem. And a polyp would be a little growth of tissue yep. inside the nose. Yep. The lining of the nose has kept growing in a way and formed these polyps. How might someone know if they have a polyp? So they can be massive and come right out of someone's nose. I've seen that, um, but it may be more uh, more nuanced than that. That they have, you know, chronic congestion, drainage. A big one for me to clue me in that someone might have chronic sinusitis is a diminished sense of smell because those polyps can block where the sense nerve, the sense of smell nerves are. That's a little more reliable, I think, than facial pressure and pain. Uh, but that's that's one that clues me in. And in addition to surgery, sometimes the, the steroid nasal spray can help with those too? Or so no? they don't make the polyps smaller, but if we do surgery to remove polyps and open up the sinuses, I will often put people on a rinse that has a steroid in it. So kind of like the nasal steroid spray, it has more steroid in it, you're using a neti pot, and it gets into the sinus cavities and keeps that inflammation down. So it's a multifaceted approach to keep that inflammation in the nose down and keep those polyps from coming back. Sure. I think the real new thing with polyps is understanding that, that inflammation that you were talking mm -hmm. about has these uh, messengers, cytokines, mm -hmm. interleukins, yeah. that one cell talks to another and that's what's driving that inflammation. Yeah. Uh, and we have some new medicines that actually block that. Uh, and so for some of these folks who've had sinus surgery after Four sinus, five times, yeah. you know, I've met people with 15, yeah. <laughs> uh, you put them on these biologics and it can really slow up the regrowth. Uh, I've had some really good luck with shrinking polyps mm -hmm. even yeah. in people and then they don't need surgery. You have to not kid yourself, these aren't a cure mm -hmm. and they're terribly expensive. Yeah. They're 30 grand a year easily. Oh boy. Uh, but my goodness, you get your nose going, you can sleep, yeah. you can smell. The the, 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 yeah, the asthma bad. gets better. Yeah. They're life changing for the, for the right patient. You know, along those lines too, this person asks if you have a nasal blockage, can that cause shortness of breath? Typically no, but if someone has allergic rhinitis, there is 30% of people with allergic rhinitis can have asthma and not know that. So that's something that 
keep in mind when you're seeing these patients. So I wouldn't expect a nasal blockage to necessarily affect the lungs alone, but if they have polyps, they might have asthma, uh, they have alert allergies, they could have that. So they need a good evaluation to make sure something else isn't going on. Sure, good idea. Yeah. And this person asks, is there a correlation between a bland diet and a runny nose, or what could possibly cause this? Not that I'm aware of. I usually note spicy foods, things like that, can cause a runny nose, but not necessarily a bland diet alone. So maybe they have gustatory rhinitis, mm -hmm. just period. Right, right. And with anything you eat. Anything mm -hmm. they Every eat, time you eat you they get bummed. a runny yeah. nose. Yeah. yeah, it's very possible. Is there, would there be a treatment for that too? Well, potentially, yeah. There's several nasal sprays we try for even vasomotor or gustatory rhinitis that block certain chemicals in the nose. Uh, besides the nasal steroid spray, there's an antihistamine nasal spray and an anticholinergic nasal spray. If those don't work, there are some uh, newer procedures where they try to, we try to freeze or get that nerve that controls the, the runny nose to stop working for an amount of time. Um, one uh, device uses CO2, dry ice essentially, another uses radiofrequency ablation to zap that nerve and get it to stop uh, overreacting. Amazing what they can do now. Right. <laughs> and the neat thing with the procedures is you don't have to keep taking your medicine multiple times every day. Right. And you can go to your get-together with your friends and not squirt, squirt. Oh, hi, Fred. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I just uh, keep a tissue with me every time mm -hmm. I'm eating because mm -hmm. I, I tend to mm -hmm. get a right nose when I'm eating. That's my solution yeah. right now. But. Um, can changes in weather and pressure cause runny noses? Is there anything you can re recommend besides Zyrtec to help resolve the runny nose? Well, we just mentioned a few other possibilities to resolve that, but that's interesting, changes in weather and pressure. What would be some of those causes? Vasomotor rhinitis. Yeah, yeah. What other conditions cause runny nose if it's not allergies or a virus? Going back again, vasomotor rhinitis, gustatory rhinitis. Um, you know, I, I, from doing the show, you know, I learned more about how a CPAP use mm -hmm. can cause mm -hmm. uh, a, a chronic runny nose. Um, can you speak on that? Yeah, that's a complaint I see commonly, um, for sure. Uh, it's very well documented. Um, and the treatment is also similar. You're trying to get that, that uh, lining of the nose to stop acting up. So whether it be nasal sprays or consideration of a procedure, making sure your CPAP though is clean is always very important. So there may be something mm -hmm. ir irritating there, a mold that you may have an allergic reaction to. Most CPAPs are humidified, so it's mm -hmm. always good Gotta to keep, sure keep it nice. Yep, humidify it and make sure it's nice and clean. I had one patient one time that always had this runny nose and we, things weren't working until he finally changed his pillow. Mm, and then it went away. Yeah. So it was time for a new pillow. Chicken feathers in it or something, yeah. <laughs> Lots of those good dust mites. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, going on the, along those lines too, you know, so CPAP might be part of it, but they should probably continue to use their CPAP Absolutely. machine. Yeah. Um, or medications. Uh, some, you know, aspirin I've seen can cause some blood pressure pills. Do, do you hear that or see that very often? And what would you recommend there? Yeah, beta blockers, a type of heart and blood pressure medicine uh, can cause some nasal symptoms there. Um, aspirin uh, as well, Asp there's a, a condition called aspirin exacerbated respiratory disease, which is on the rarer side, but these are people that can't take aspirin or else it'll almost kill them, but they, uh, you can actually treat them by giving them aspirin. Dr. Bubak would probably speak more to that than I would, but. Uh, um, 
that's one interesting condition out there too with aspirin that can affect the nose and the lungs. And some folks have a problem with their thyroids a little off, mm -hmm. that that'll do it. Pregnancy yep. would be another uh, time. Um, should you give kids medicine for a runny nose if that's their only symptom? If it's problematic. Makes sense. Yeah. If it's not a problem, don't worry about it. But if yeah. it's bothering them enough or yeah. you know, making it hard to be for them to learn. Yeah. presentable to grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, here's, here's a little different one here. Best treatment for inner ear infections coupled with a sinus infection. What do you recommend? Well, uh, certainly having inflammation in the nose uh, can affect the drainage pathway from the space behind your eardrum into the back of the nose, the eustachian tube. So if you're getting upper respiratory infections and then getting fluid or pressure behind your eardrum, treating the nose is one thing. I also think rinses and steroid sprays can be pretty helpful. If there's allergies uh, at play, getting those evaluated and treated can sometimes help middle ear um, dysfunction. Inner ear is the, the nerve of hearing, so if you have an infection there, you, you have probably lost your hearing or had horrible vertigo, but it's easy to mix those, those two up. But um, certainly fluid behind the eardrum can go hand in hand with these things. You know, so commonly I've seen people convinced they have an ear infection because mm -hmm. their ear hurts so much. Yeah. But many times it's, there's no infection, but that, like you said, that eustachian tube yeah. is plugged and the pressure can yeah. equalize yeah. and so on. Do you think a, a, a decongestant is a good idea for that or not? If someone has a really significant sinus infection, I will sometimes recommend a short course, like a nasal decongestant spray for just a day or two. But really, my mainstay would be uh, steroid sprays and rinses. Um, I would also add that sometimes ear pain in the absence of ear findings can be a lot of other things. Yeah. It could be yeah. referred pain from the throat. If, they're, if you're sick, mm. you may be yeah. feeling it in your ear. Uh, the nerve that gives sensation to the throat also gives sensation to the space behind your eardrum. And then if people have jaw joint issues, that's a common um, finding of ear pressure and pain too. Yeah. Um, so have to really look at everything. Yeah. In the final minute here, Mark, any other last words of advice for everyone out there? Well, with your allergy runny noses, don't put up with it. Uh, there's a lot of great treatments. Uh, it's not just the patient suffering. Their whole family has to put up with it. And I can't tell you how many times a week the patient's in because the rest of the family is just said, we're done, we're done. you got to go get fixed up. So help everybody out. I think that's some great advice from today. I, I think I've learned too. You know, it's so easy to, oh, it's just a runny nose, not a big deal. But there's things we can do to help. And there could be something else going on. Absolutely. So get it looked into, get it checked out. And, and, and whether it's steroid nasal sprays, antihistamines, a different type of nasal spray, there, there's a lot of different things. We, or allergy shots. Mm -hmm. Surgery. Or surgery. Mm -hmm. yes, There's a lot of things Absolutely. we can do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions this evening, but uh, we uh, had a great discussion today. I'd like to move on to the prize winner. The winner of our prize tonight is Taryn from Minnesota. Thank you, Taryn, for asking a question during the first 20 minutes of the show. A gift will be sent to you. We'll be back after this. Based on science built on trust, grab a copy of your local newspaper to read the Prairie Doc Perspective, a weekly health and medical column, 
Over 130 newspapers in the region carry the article. Ask your local paper if they print Prairie Doc today. Head to prairiedoc.org to access all archive columns. When your nose runs, although it may not slow you down, it can be annoying. This time of year, it's difficult to know if your runny nose is from a cold, allergies, or another reason. Rhinitis can be broadly defined as inflammation of the nasal membrane. Sometimes a runny nose is from allergies, caused by allergens in the air, such as trees, grass, weeds, molds, dust mites, or pet dander. Allergy symptoms often include sneezing, an itchy or runny nose, and itchy, watery, or red eyes. A runny nose can also be caused by a virus, like a cold. As the weather changes and with school back in session, people tend to spend more time indoors, which allows airborne viruses to spread more easily. Cold symptoms may include a runny nose, as well as sneezing, sore throat, cough, and congestion. Be careful with nasal decongestants. While sprays may temporarily treat rhinitis, regular use of them can cause a rebound effect called rhinitis medicamentosa. Subsequently, a person may use the sprays more, causing a vicious circle. To avoid the rebound effect, try to limit the use of decongestant sprays to less than five days. Sometimes a runny nose will not ever seem to go away. If allergy pills, steroid nasal sprays, or a change in environment do not help your chronic runny nose, it may be time to consider other causes. For many of these causes, your primary care provider can help you sort them out and come up with a treatment plan. There are other treatments beyond avoidance and steroid nasal sprays, such as certain inhalers. As always, talk with your doctor to determine if other factors, such as polyps, tumors, or a systemic disease, could be causing your condition. Accounting for more than half of all non-allergic rhinitis is vasomotor rhinitis. Vasomotor rhinitis is an exaggerated reaction to irritants, such as air pollution, perfumes, or temperature changes, especially cold, dry air. Cigarette smoke, alcohol, cocaine, and occupational exposures may cause a runny nose, along with different medications, such as aspirin or some blood pressure pills. Certain conditions, such as pregnancy, acid reflux, as well as the use of your CPAP machine for sleep apnea, have been known to affect the nasal membranes. Personally, I know that if I eat something spicy or hot in temperature, I am going to need a Kleenex for my gustatory rhinitis. While there might not be a cure for your runny nose, sometimes it's nice knowing the cause because I am not going without my favorite Pad Thai meal. A big thank you to our guests, Dr. Bennett and Dr. Bubak, for volunteering their time to help us learn more about runny nose relief. If you would like to see and hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube, or visit us at prairiedoc.org, look for Prairie Doc Perspectives in your local newspaper and online, and be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, 
wherever you get your podcasts. From all of us here at On Call with Prairie Doc, thank you for joining us for another episode of Health Information Based on Science and Built on Trust. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. Teens and parents are navigating a very different landscape today compared to the 80s or 90s. Learn to recognize that your teen is struggling and how to find help. Mental health in adolescence, next time on Call with the Prairie Doc. Mom, can you believe we are already entering the 21st season of On Call with the Prairie Doc? It's amazing. Last year was so fun celebrating our 20th season. It was great to see the old shows and to just highlight the honest science and trust that our program is built on and that dad started so long ago. Yeah, and to see how it's grown, you know, to see it, it's not just a television program that you can find on Thursday nights at seven o'clock, but it's something that you can check out on uh, one of your favorite podcast networks or YouTube share these videos to your friends and family on Facebook. There's a lot of ways that Prairie Doc is making an impact. Uh, we know it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for you, our viewers, and for our corporate sponsors and our, our private sponsors. We are completely privately funded foundation. So your contributions make a difference. And did you know that a couple of years ago, the South Dakota Department of Health asked us to do some special programming that they felt was important for the whole state to know. We felt really honored that they would ask us to be a part of that. So you, you donors, you helped in providing good education for the state. You know, as a nurse, uh, one of my primary responsibilities is to advocate for my patients. And this program really allows our prairie docs as well as the volunteer doctors to advocate for public health across our state and into the surrounding states as well which makes it particularly nice when a patient will come up to me and tell me that they really enjoy the program or my parents watch your show every week yeah i hear that a lot and it really is humbling and gratifying yeah and and i'm excited and humbled uh, to be joining the Healing Words Foundation Board as we work to make an impact on the lives of our supporters and to further that mission. If you would like to help us with this important work, we hope that you'll talk to your friends, you'll share our program on your social media page. And if you want to make a financial gift, please give directly at prairiedoc.org or mail your gift to the P.O. Box 752 Brookings, South Dakota 57006. Thank, Thank you, you for, for your support. support. All right, Mom. You ready to go for a little walk? You bet. Let's get, those, get those steps. steps. <laughs> <laughs> Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by. At Avera, our nationally recognized health system will be right here with you, with care and coverage. Hello, possibility. Hello, healthy. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support of these individuals and institutions, 
Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, Brookings Madison Flandreau District Medical Society, Peer District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Orthopedic Institute, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications. Thank you.